podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. It's a pleasure to be sharing around God's Word with you this morning. We're in a teaching series where we're walking step by step through the letter of Ephesians. And during the month of June, we're lingering over this beautiful image that Paul gives us, his instruction that we should put on Christ. We're exploring together week by week just what that means. What does it mean to put on the truth of Christ? What does it mean to put on the life and the hope and the kingdom values and the kingdom behaviours of Jesus. Don't miss Tessa Weston bringing a word tonight at our 5pm service. She's going to talk uh, about revenge and forgiveness. And this morning, I'm going to address uh, gossip and encouragement. But first of all, I just want to spend a few moments looking under the hood so we might get a greater sense of what Paul is really telling us. I think putting off gossip and putting on encouragement is actually only part of what Paul has for us this morning. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, so let me begin with this. Yes, I'm part of that cringy old person's club that tends to use emojis a little bit too much, but actually I think that this really captures what Paul is on about. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If we dive a little bit deeper, Paul says that we should not engage in sapros talk, only that which is helpful, oi komode, of other people. So I just want to unpack that. Sapros is this word that comes from the verb putrefy. Interestingly, sapros is also the word that Jesus himself uses, like in Luke, where he says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. This metaphor of sapros or bad fruit draws on Jesus' fundamental teaching about the things that defile. I'm sure you remember Jesus giving it to the hypocritical Pharisees one day and then turning immediately to the crowd saying, there is nothing outside of a person that by going into them can defile them. But the things that come out are what defile. It's this putrid, corrupt inner reality that emerges on the outside of us in our words and in our actions. These are the things that Paul is pointing to. Yes, of course, gossip is part of that, but Paul is pointing to the whole putrid mess, the bad fruit that emanates from the corruption deep inside of us. This is what we need to put off, Paul says. And what we should put on has to do with oikomone. That is, like any kind of writer, Paul has these phrases that he returns to over and over again, and one of them is the building up of the church. And that's what he's referring to here. For example, you remember in Corinthians, every time Paul references spiritual gifts, he says at the end, and all of these things should be used for the building up of the church. 
So Paul says in summary that we should put off putrid speech that spews out of our mouths and is a reflection of our putrid hearts. And he wants us to put on the kind of speech that builds up the church in faith, in hope, and in love. This question, as ever, is, well, what does that mean for us in practice? So this morning I want to share three stories that look through three different lenses that I think help us to really get at what Paul means. The first story and the lens of purity. All of us have particular childhood stories that um, you could tell me this morning that are moments where your parents or your caregivers disciplined you. One forever etched memory that I have involves a toothbrush and a piece of soap. It begins with an outspoken and disrespectful six-year-old telling her formidable mother, Mum, shut up. Now, shut up was one of those words that we weren't actually allowed to say in my family. My mother's eyes gleamed with resolute determination and she swiftly carried me off to the bathroom, where standing amongst the gleaming tiles and the glistening fixtures, my eyes widened as my mother retrieved my toothbrush. With a steely resolve, she guided me towards the laundry. And there, on the edge of the pristine laundry sink, was a small but striking item that caught my attention. It was the vibrant yellow bar of sunlight soap perched on the gleaming silver rack. My mother towered over me like an unyielding prison guard, commanding both respect and obedience. As my toothbrush, once a mere tool of oral hygiene, became an instrument of punishment. My mother guided my hand with a firm grip, plunged the toothbrush into the depths of the yellow sunlight soap, unleashing the fragrance of a thousand washes. And as my child's heart raced, she raised the toothbrush with the soap on to my quivering, quivering lips, where she began to lather the soap on my teeth. The taste of the bitter soap mingled with my bitter tears, and I emerged from the ordeal not just with freshly scrubbed teeth, but with a newly profound appreciation for the power of words. Yes, I said a bad word, an unclean word, and in the eyes of my mother, I swore. But the power of a swear word is not in its letters but in the context, the intention, and in the effect. The context was, of course, I was a deeply angry and frustrated six-year-old. My intention was to hurt my mother, and the effect in this case is that she took offence and I got my mouth cleaned to teach me a lesson about using unclean words. But I think, actually, this is the least of what Paul is getting at. Far more serious than our use of bad or dirty words is how we use words to wield power. Proverbs puts it pretty starkly. The tongue has the power of life and of death. The second story. There's an old Hasidic tale about a man who went through his community slandering the local rabbi. Burdened by a heavy heart, he allowed his tongue to become a weapon of harm. 
He traversed the town spreading venomous rumours about the beloved rabbi. However, one day he found himself unexpectedly filled with remorse. And so he went and he found the rabbi. His voice quivering with sincerity, he asked the rabbi for forgiveness and begged that he might impose upon him some kind of penance. The rabbi, ever wise and compassionate, saw the remorse in the man's eyes, and he said to him, go and take several pillows, cut them open, and scatter the feathers to the winds. Well, the man, determinedly, you know, excited about an opportunity to do his penance, went and sliced open a feather pillow, released the ethereal cloud of feathers into the air where the wind picked them up and scattered them across the ends of the earth. The man returned to the rabbi, seeking solace and affirmation that he'd done the right thing, and yet the rabbi's response struck him like a thunderbolt. Now, said the rabbi, go and collect every single feather. The man voiced his protest, but but Rabbi, that's utterly impossible. Of course it is, said the Rabbi. And though you may sincerely regret the evil that you have done and truly desire to correct it, it is as impossible to repair the damage done by your words as it is to recover the feathers. One of the most misunderstood Words, a thing about the words that we speak got taught to us when we were children. Do you remember being told sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you? It's just not true, is it? For in real life, we know that sticks and stones only break bones. And bones actually heal quite quickly, don't they? But words, words destroy. Words cut the legs out from underneath us. Words break our hearts and crush our spirits. Words get locked into our brains where they fizz like acid, dissolving our sense of self-worth and our dreams and hopes for our lives. Words have this capacity to slash at our soul, to create wounds that it seems to take a lifetime to heal. I'm sure there isn't a person here this morning who hasn't been profoundly impacted by the words of a loved one. If we're fortunate, these are words of love and affirmation and encouragement and support. These are words that come to us and and buoy us up and bring hope into our lives. But if we weren't fortunate, these are harsh words, words that wound and shame and judge. And all of us who have been around the church for more than five minutes have been both built up and torn down by the words of others. Just last week, I got a wonderful text message from a sister in Christ that was that precise word that I needed in that moment, and it was the source of huge encouragement for me. But I'm also aware that it's not always like that. I got a message from one of New Hope's small group leaders just yesterday sharing that she asked her small group whether or not they had been deeply hurt by the words of others in church, and 75% of 
of the members of that small group said that they had. James's letter reminds us so clearly that the tongue might only be a tiny, small part of our bodies, but it has the power to unleash a forest fire. He says, we bless the Lord with our tongues, but we then go and curse the ones made in God's image. From the same mouth comes curses and blessings. My brothers and sisters, James says, this ought not to be. The third story is the lens of possibility. John Lewis was a United States congressman, and he was one of the core leaders of the civil rights movement in the US, one of the the big six. He laboured alongside of Dr Martin Luther King Jr. And he led the Selma March on uh, on a day that became known as Bloody Sunday. Just shortly before his death, I listened to the most wonderful interview with him, and he shared this story about when he was 11 years old. It was 1951, and he lived in the Deep South in Alabama. And this particular summer, he went with his aunt and uncles and his cousins up north to Buffalo in New York. And there, he saw how the people lived and how different it was from everything that he had ever experienced how black and and white people lived and worked alongside. Sometimes it's only after you see something that your mind actually can grasp the words to describe it, to really understand the possibility. So now, equipped with the language to name it, for the first time he suddenly thought, well, maybe someday, maybe one day, where I live in Alabama, could be like that too. John Lewis believes that it was this experience of a different reality that launched his capacity to name this new reality that fueled his belief that things could be better. He said that later on he discovered alongside Dr King that in order to move beyond the reality you desire, you have to evoke the future in both word and deed, until it becomes so real, so much a part of you, so clear in in your mind's eye, that you have this sense that you're already moving towards it. That in some way it's, it's already happened because you're living as if it was already real. John Lewis and Dr King and others were motivated by this deep love and this profound abiding vision of the kingdom of God. It was so real as Dr. King climbed down the steps of the Lincoln Memorial after his world famous speech where he talked about having a dream. I reckon that you'd swear it was almost there. It was almost a reality. Such is the genius of Dr. King's words. But I think actually it's deeper than that. Such is the profound power of God unleashed in the mouths of people who understand the nature of his kingdom and can help to make it flesh and blood, can, can, can help to present a picture that lodges in the hearts and the minds of people, that stokes their desire for that future kingdom vision to such an extent that they begin to live even now in the present as if, it were really real.
It's as if Dr. King on that day was standing in the kingdom of God, looking backwards to his time, saying, I've been there and I have a dream and I have seen what it could be. And I encourage you to join with me in seeing this too. Because if you do, once you have seen it and grasped it and can name it, you will never, ever, ever turn back and settle for anything less. You see, our world, our words, they create worlds. Your words creates worlds. The Bible acknowledges this with the the world-making words of God who spoke creation into being. And God said, let there be light. Such is the creative power of the words that we've been given, that God, God speaks creation into being. He invites man to name all of the animals. We have been given such an extraordinary power by God. You see, within our world, within our words, each one of them contains a direction. Your words point to a direction that your life is heading in. Your words are always taking you somewhere. I wonder where are your words taking you this morning? When you look back over this week, what direction have your words been having you head in? Because if they're moving in the direction of the kingdom of God, then I guarantee that they will be words of love and of encouragement and of hope and of peace and of unity. They'll be words of instruction and deep wisdom. But if, and, and when we're in that place of speaking out of the kingdom, I think this experience of spaciousness overcomes us. That actually our words open up the possibility for change. They open up the possibility for grace and for forgiveness and healing and growth. But if our words are moving in the opposite direction, if our words, in fact, are drawing us towards death, then they will be words of anger and slander and jealousy and gossip and division and contempt and violence and judgment and condemnation. And from that place, those words, I guarantee you, they will keep you stuck. Stuck in your old, deadly ways. Stuck in your old, dead self. Spewing out day after day the same putrid garbage. Your tongue holds the power within it of both life and death. And as a community, I hope that we would choose life because every time we choose life, we manifest the kingdom of God amongst us. We create here, right now, on the earth, an example, a vision of what the kingdom of God might look like. And that is so attractive to people who are drowning. That is so needed in the lives of people who are hurt, who are fearful. This is the opportunity that we have as the kingdom of God to put on Christ and his kingdom so that we might be a light to the world. Amen.